0: Let us bow our heads once again for a short word of prayer before I want to call on the men of this congregation. Lord, thou art God alone. Thou alone art Lord over all the earth. Thou art King, and we come before thee thankful that thou hast given to us thy word. Enable me now by thy Holy Ghost to preach to the men of this congregation and all who are here that they might be under divine conviction from thy word to be the kind of men that you would have them to be. O Lord, save me from faltering, from foolishness, and from falsely using Scripture and bless me now to encourage each one of these men to be the kind of leaders that they ought to be, and if they are all together, will have a body like the world has never seen. Lord, be with us now. I thank thee for thy word. I shall defend thy word. Honor me in the name of Jesus Christ and for the sake of his church. Amen. Amen. This morning I told you that, the Lord blessing me tonight, I would see if I couldn't show John Wayne, Charles Bronson, Clint Eastwood, Roger Moore, Sylvester Stallone, and the characters they portray to be wimps. Oh, the world is living out its fantasy island, aren't they? Now, I've never watched Fantasy Island, but I've assumed, based on hearing about it, that it's some island where you can go and live out your fantasies. The world is living out its fantasy right now in motion pictures as the world looks for and fills the minds of our young people and especially our men with the invincible heroes Portrayed by John Wayne, Charles Bronson, Clint Eastwood, and Stallone. I mean, we've got Johnny Rambo, we've got Rocky, we've got Dirty Harry. They always win in the end, don't they? And they're set before us as the examples of tough, brave, courageous, and successful men. Who pays the money and fills the seats to make all of those that I just mentioned along with Arnold Schwarzenegger Chuck Norris and others box office hits it's men it's men looking for a fantasy that they know they aren't living and wish they could be and everyone that comes out sells and you well know it I want to give you some real characters from the Word of God tonight that will make them and those characters look like wimps. The Scriptures provide true biographies. Amen. All that stuff you view on the screen is the imagination of some man. Impossible, unreal. I want to give you some stories tonight. They're not. The stories of a man's imagination their records of history that God the Holy Spirit said were important enough for you to read to learn and they would be for your admonition and I want to call on the men of this congregation to answer God's call God is looking for a few good men Uncle Sam may have been painted on a poster during World War II grinning from beneath his white beard saying, I want you. But God is saying that. I want you. I could name every one of you men in this congregation. I could name the men listening to these tapes or viewing the videotape. God is not looking for mass evangelism or for us to take the world for God he is looking for you I'll name names if I'm not getting your attention this evening you God is looking for a few good men and I want the emphasis to be on one man and I want you to apply that to yourselves are you up to the task will you answer the call to be God's man we get the idea that to be God's man means you've got to be a wimp. I'll show you some men of God who weren't that way. And I want to see if I can't strike some chord in your body that Hollywood seems to be able to strike and I can strike it with the Word of God. That's what I want to do. I, I'm telling you my ulterior motive right up front. Like I said this morning, if it boils down to it, I want at least one man to be in the telephone booth with me when we have our worship service. If all the rest of you flake out in God helping me, I'm not going to. I want there to be at least one man who will be in the telephone booth with me as the final shots come in. You say, where would you get the illustration of the telephone booth? Well, I've heard it put this way. Our Our religion is so restrictive that eventually we'll end up in a telephone booth with two or three people in our church. (laughs) So be it. Paul said, after the way they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things that were written in the Law and the Prophets. That's where we'll stand. Let's go. David's mighty men. King David had a crew that would make the dirty dozen look like a bunch of pansies. And I'm gonna show you that the idea for the dirty dozen is just a corruption of scripture. Watch. David was quite a man himself, wouldn't you say? Let me remind you a little bit about David. First Samuel chapter 16. David gathered and organized One of the most elite and successful fighting forces the world has ever seen. If not the most successful and elite the world has ever seen. I mean, to make this crew and to make it to the top, you had to be the best. Watch as we proceed. 1 Samuel 16, let's learn a little bit about David. Do you realize and remember that when David came to kill Goliath, that wasn't the first time he met King Saul? David had worked for King Saul before. King Saul was having a problem. He'd get depressed. (laughs) The guy got depressed. So he needed someone to come and play some music for him. And he didn't just want anyone, I mean, to to work in the king's parlor. You needed to be a good-looking man, be able to defend yourself. Who'd they pick? David. Let's read it. 1 Samuel 16, beginning at verse 18. Saul in verse 17 says, provide me now a man that can play well and bring him to me. Saul's looking for a good man to play well. Then answered one of the servants and said, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is cunning in playing and a mighty, valiant man and a man of war and prudent in matters and a comely person and the Lord is with him. Now, would you call that That's better than the Italian stallion, wouldn't you say? This man was comely. This man was prudent. Listen, Stallone. Well, I won't say anything about his IQ. Let me talk about David. David was a comely person, prudent in matters, a man of war, a mighty, valiant man, and cunning in playing the harp. Now, that's quite a combination, wouldn't you say? That was David that's before he ever killed Goliath he was already known for being a man of war out of the whole nation of Israel the man after God's own heart was a man of war look at verse 21 and David came to Saul and stood before him and he that is Saul loved him greatly and he became his armor-bearer now David at this stage in his life isn't exactly, exactly an accomplished in any profession. He's still a shepherd. When he goes back home after this, when they go into war, he goes back home to ten sheep. He's Saul's armor bearer out of the whole nation. First Samuel 16. You know what happens in chapter 17. He delivers some food for his brothers who are in the army and they're having war against the Philistines. And then he sees this Philistine champion, Goliath, come out and challenge and defy the armies of the Israelites. And David said, How can you let that uncircumcised Philistine do that? Wasn't very polite. Talking about that uncircumcised Philistine. And they said, Well, who are you? But they were all afraid to take him on, so they brought him to King Saul anyway. And we read in verse 32, And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him, that is, because of Goliath, This is 1 Samuel 17, 32. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth. Notice as a youth, already Saul's armor bearer. As a youth, already a man of war and a mighty valiant man. Listen friends, he didn't sit around at home and have his mother serve him graham crackers and milk and play the harp david was a mighty valiant man and he a man of war from his youth saul's comparing the two and david said unto saul thy servant kept his father's sheep and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock and i went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth and when he arose against me i caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him now he could he took he took a lion a male lion by his beard and killed it quite a man verse 36 thy servant slew both the lion and the bear and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God well that wasn't bad for a shepherd boy take a lion and a bear and kill him with your bare hands grab him by his beard now that doesn't mean you're standing at a distance and you shoot him with an arrow that means you get in close. Let's try some hand-to-hand combat, O oh, king of beasts. and gr- Rescue the lamb out of his mouth and then grab him by his beard. I like that. In verse 49, we read, we see David approaching Goliath and David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. And I can hear some skeptic saying, why I sent in 120 bazooka comics when I was a kid and the slingshot they sent me wouldn't have sunk a stone in anyone's head. You don't know the kind of slings they used. (laughs) I want to tell you something in just a minute about the accuracy those men had that will impress you. They could throw a stone and sink it in. They could kill with it very easily. You throw a one-pound projectile or something slightly less than that with great force of getting all the momentum of centrifugal force behind it, and they could easily sink it into a man's head. It wasn't one of these little rubber band deals that you buy at the local toy store. They killed with it. It was a weapon of war, a weapon to protect their flocks when shepherds were out staying with them. You say, well, that's quite a bit. He was a mighty man of war as a youth. He killed a lion and a bear, and he took on Goliath bravely and slew him. That's not all. That is not all. Look at verse 5 of chapter 18. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. Notice the combination. Wisdom, courage. David sent him out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war. And he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now he's just a young guy. He was promoted over everyone, over all the men of war. And it came to pass, as they came, this is returning, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of all cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets and joy, with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Now that's the reputation David had. He was a giant killer. He had killed his 10,000s and Saul had only killed thousands and the women sang. that. Now Saul didn't like that, but that's a whole other story. What I want to give you is the reputation David had and why he attracted the kind of men that I'm going to show you he did. He was the best. David was the best. I mean, he had a combination. Like you've heard about the Renaissance man. Here's a Renaissance man for you, if you will. King David. Did you know how, do you know how he won his bride? 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. Now, see, Saul didn't like David because the women were singing songs that made David greater than Saul. So Saul devised the way by which he'd get rid of David. He knew that David loved his daughter, Michael. He said, David, you want my daughter, Michael? You can have her. All you have to do is go out and kill a hundred Philistines and circumcise them and bring the remains to me. Well, now, that's quite a dowry, wouldn't you say? What did David do? He went out and got 200. Look at verse 27. Wherefore, David arose and went, he and his men, and slew of the Philistines 200 men. And David brought back their foreskins, and they gave them in full tail. That T-A-L-E means full weight, full number. I mean, it sure was, it was double. Full tail to the king that he might be the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him Michael, his daughter, to wife. See, Saul anticipated that when you try to do that to a man, he was going to get killed. That uh, David just wouldn't walk into the camp of the Philistines, circumcise a hundred of them, and get home safely. He went and did two hundred. This is David, the man after God's own heart. Let me present King David. He had a reputation. Now, while he was hiding from Saul, men came and joined themselves to him. Remember, shortly after this, Saul tries to kill David, and David has to flee from his presence. Now come over to chapter 22. First Samuel chapter 22. You will love this little verse as it shows that the Dirty Dozen... How many of you have seen the Dirty Dozen? A World War II movie about, was it 12... 12 criminals on death row being used as a, an elite fighting force during the war. Watch. 1 Samuel 22. David therefore departed thence, because Saul was chasing him, and Achish didn't want him around, the Philistine in chapter 21. And escaped to the cave Adullam, and when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And listen to this. And everyone that was in distress, And everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented, gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them, and there were with him about four hundred men. Forget the dirty dozen, let's talk about the dirty four hundred. That's what David had at the end of 1 Samuel 22 too. He had men in debtors, distressed, just plain frustrated with life, You know, let's forget everything and go out and protect David. He's God's man. Let's just forget what we've done here. We've made a mess of our lives so far. Let's get out there and protect David and fight with him. He can stand his own ground. We can certainly help him out a little bit. Well, you don't have to read much farther. Chapter 23, chapter 23 and verse 13, the good word spread. Then David and his men, which were about 600, it's growing, It's, they were getting quite a reputation. This guerrilla band was growing. By chapter 23, we're up to 600. And it continues to grow. Come over to 1 Chronicles chapter 12. 1 Chronicles chapter 12. There's so much here, I could preach a series on David's mighty men, but we might as well try to do it in one evening. 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse one. Now these are they that came to David to Ziklag while he yet kept himself close because of Saul, the son of Kish. And they were among the mighty men, helpers of the war. They were armed with bows and could use both the right hand and the left in hurling stones and shooting arrows out of a bow, even of Saul's brethren of Benjamin. Now he was getting some ambidextrous soldiers, wasn't he? Both hands sling stones and shoot arrows. You say, well, I bet they weren't very accurate if they were ambidextrous. You have got to read your Bibles carefully. Does the Holy Ghost waste a word? Why did he tell us they were of Saul's brethren? Because the Benjaminites were known for their accuracy with the slang. Look at Judges chapter 20. Judges chapter 20. Now, you wouldn't know it if you didn't read your whole Bible. Judges chapter 20. They could use left hand, right hand, hurl stones with a sling, or shoot arrows with a bow. You say, I wonder if they could hit a target. I wonder if they could hit a bullseye. Look at verse 15 so that you can see what we're talking about in the children of Benjamin. That's who we're talking about. Verse 16. Among all this people, there were 700 chosen men left-handed. Every one could sling stones at an hair breadth and not miss. You say, that's impossible. What do you think about Rambo? (laughs) That guy couldn't shoot a bow and an arrow if his life depended on it. It's all trick photography. This is God saying that there were 700 men of Benjamin who could hit a hairbreadth. Now those kind of men came and joined themselves to David. But let me tell you, they were the lower echelon. They were the lower echelon. Come now to 2 Samuel 23. 2 Samuel chapter 23 is the chapter that sets forth David's chosen mighty men. Now we've seen 400, we've seen 600, they kept coming. I mean, it went up into the thousands. And by the time Saul was dead, it was hundreds of thousands because the whole nation had gathered themselves to David. But here in 2 Samuel chapter 23, Look at verse 39, the last verse in the chapter. Thirty and seven in all. David had given performance reviews and promotions to all of these men that had come to him, and he had narrowed it down to 37. These 37 are the ones I want to deal with, the mighty men of David. David. And all the way from verses eight through 39, we have the mighty men dealt with. God, the Holy Ghost, gave this to us for us to realize that his men haven't been wimps. If we were to read from verse eight down through verse 39, we have what Bible skeptics and critics love to find. A contradiction in your King James Version. Now, I'd do it if we had time. What we would do is we would read from verse 8 to 39, and I'd have someone count off as we mention someone's name. When you get all the way through this chapter, there are only 36 men. Are there any Bible skeptics here tonight? Only 36. Why did God do that? To to give those little pansies something to play with in their spare time we don't want to fight the real war of defending God's word against the devil. It says 37 in all, but only 36 are listed. We'll see if we can't solve the mystery as we proceed through David's men. Let me tell you about a man, first of all, though, and that man's name is Joab. Joab isn't even mentioned in 2 Samuel 23 because he was too good for the list. Joab was already captain of the entire host. He wasn't considered in the number of David's elite group of 37. Joab, and don't forget this, Joab was his general. As you're reading through the first and second Samuel, you'll read about Joab over and over again. Joab was the secretary of defense. He was the five-star general. And it's also important to remember that he was David's nephew. David had a sister named Abigail who had had three who had three sons Joab Abishai and Asahel and we're gonna come across those three names come over to First Chronicles two. hold your finger at 2 Samuel 23 but come to First Chronicles two sixteen. I want you to see that he had two sisters Zeruiah and Abigail. It wasn't Abigail that was the mother of these three warriors. It was Zeruiah. First Chronicles 2.16, whose sisters, see verse 15, speaking of David and his brothers. Verse 16, whose sisters were Zeruiah and Abigail, and the sons of Zeruiah, Abishai, and Joab, and Asahel three. First Chronicles 2.16, now you can come back to 2 Samuel 23. David's nephews, we're mighty men is the point I'm trying to make. And Joab was David's nephew, and he was captain over the entire host. 2 Samuel 8:16 tells us that. And Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was over the host. Now Joab earned his position. Do you know how he earned his position? How did Joab jump by the whole 37 and become captain of the host? What's known as the city of David? Zion, Jerusalem is known as the city of David because it's the city that David chose out to be his resting place and the resting place for God. Who took the city? Joab did. Come over to 1 Chronicles chapter 11. Keeping your finger always at 2 Samuel 23. 1 Chronicles chapter 11. Jerusalem is a city, it was a fort, built on the top of a mountain called Mount zion need you guess too many times jerusalem was a fort built on the top of mount zion verse 4 of first chronicles 11 and david and all israel went to jerusalem which is jebus where the jebusites were the inhabitants of the land it's not a city they built it's a city the jebusites built and the inhabitants of jebus said to david thou shalt not come hither nevertheless David took the castle of Zion, which is the city of David. And David said, Whosoever smiteth the Jebusites first shall be chief and captain. So Joab, the son of Zeruiah, went first up and was chief. There must have been some situation where it required one man to lead the charge. And he said, Whoever wants it gets it, just like Caleb said once with one of his daughters at stake. And there went Joab, and he was made captain of the host. Now Joab employed himself well, I could show you some of the battles that he was the general of, employed himself very well, but an extremely bloody man. So bloody, he killed Abner, that was Saul's general or secretary of defense, number one general. He killed Absalom, David's son, and he killed Amasa, David's other nephew, by Abigail all of which were important positions in government, a very bloody man. Do you remember what David said in his deathbed? Solomon, I want you to do what's right, but when I'm dead, I want you to kill Joab. And he did it. Joab was too bloody. David had said expressly, when you find Absalom, I don't want a hair of his head harmed. Joab found him hanging in a tree by his hair and thrust him through with darts and took great pride in it. That was Joab. He was number one over the entire host. Now let's move on to the 37. The dirty 37. 2 Samuel 23. Beginning at verse 8. These be the names of the mighty men whom David had. The Tacmonite that sat in the seat, chief among the captains. The same was Adino, The Esnite, he lift up his spear against 800, whom he slew at one time. You say, I've seen John Rambo take out 40 with an M60. Try 800 with a spear. (laughs) Try 800 with a spear. You say, that's not true. This is a fable. Why don't you go home and watch TV instead of listening to the Word of God? God said that he killed 800 with a spear at one time. Adino the Esnite. Holding your finger at 2 Samuel 23, come back to the other record of the same events and the same men in 1 Chronicles 11. We want to compare the record Samuel kept with the record kept by the chronicles of the kings, the chroniclers of the kings of Israel. 1 Chronicles 11, verse 10. These also are the chief of the mighty men whom David had, who strengthened themselves with him in his kingdom and with all Israel to make him king, according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. And this is the number of the mighty men whom David had. And then they go on and list them. Jashabim and Hakmonite, the chief of the captains, he lifted up his spear against 300 slain by him at one time. Now we have massive problems. He's called Jashabim, the Hachmonite, who slew 300 with a spear at one time in 1 Chronicles 11. 11. In 2 Samuel 23, 8, we have the Tachmonite, whose name was Adino the Esnite, who slew 800. We have two choices, and these choices are as real as I'm stating them to you. We have a contradiction in this book And I'm gonna close it right now and we go out that door and I'm gonna live like the devil for the rest of the days I have in this world or we can believe that there's a way to reconcile those two verses and by faith we believe that God put those apparent discrepancies there just to catch those who want to doubt the Word of God it is that simple if we don't have the Word of God we don't have anything If the foundations be destroyed, what shall the righteous do? I'll tell you what they do. They might as well go live like the devil and get some pleasure out of this world. You say, sin isn't pleasure. Oh, yes, it is the pleasures of sin for a season. We might as well go out and live like the devil. You say, well, what do you do? You give God the benefit of the doubt and believe that what he's promised he's able to perform, that he preserved this word absolutely perfect. Now, can we reconcile those two verses rather easily? First of all, one says 800 and one says 300. Let me give you two ways to reconcile it. Two battles. Is that hard? One badly killed 800 at one time. Another badly killed 300 at one time. You say, but he said, it says he used a spear in both times. Listen, if he could kill 800, I'll bet he used a spear all the time. <laughs> Let's be fair with God. Let's be fair with God. You say, well, his names spelled differently. I mean, one place he's known as a Dino, the Esnite, and the other place he's known as Jashubim. What's new about a person having two different names? One, an official name kept by the chroniclers of the nation of Israel, one kept by Samuel. You ever met anybody that had more than one name? You want to call Princess Di and see how many names she has? How many different titles by which she can be addressed? You say... Give me some more examples. Would it be inaccurate if you read three accounts of your pastor? In one account, he was known as Jonathan. In another account, he was known as John J O N. And in a third account, he was known as John J O H N. Would any one of them be inaccurate? Not in your life. I've been known, and my name has been written all three ways. You say, but the Word of God is perfect. Yet, yeah, it perfectly preserves the errors of men in calling men by different names and spelling them differently at different times i'll give you a job go home and pull out your concordance and look up the word joshua look up the word joshua and see how many different names he has in your bible it's between five and ten joshua his name was changed a couple times and he was known by different names why because hebrew names can have the consonants switched the meaning stays the same, the name is still the same, it just looks differently on paper. I've told you about that before. This is very easy to reconcile. Jashabim is a dino the Esnite. And Tachmanite and Hakmanite are the same thing, just spelled differently. And if you think this is the only one in your, your Old Testament, you haven't read it very much. There's thousands. You say, Do you ever sweat in your office? do I ever yes 800 and 300 I like to think it two battles reconciles it very easily the other way to reconcile it he killed 300 directly himself and the other 500 were killed by those with him you say but it says he killed them if you'll go through your scriptures you'll find that many times things done by a man that worked for a man are ascribed to the man who did them that's another way to reconcile it I believe the word of God If for a minute I doubt what I just told you, let us close shop and get out of here. This is a joke. This Bible is a joke if you don't reconcile. I mean the King James Version. I could make you gasp for air with hundreds of these. I gasp for air. And the air I gasp for is faith. If Abraham would have sat back for a minute and thought about the deadness of Sarah's womb and the deadness of his own loins, would he have believed that God could have got him a son by Sarah? Not on your life. He believed that God was able to perform what he had promised, and I believe God has done it here. Adino the Esnite is number one. David's 37 men, as we shall see, are arranged in a hierarchy. There are three mightiest, men. Edino the Esnite is number one of those three. He's chief of the top three captains. Then there are three lesser captains, and then there are 31 men below them. You say, that adds up to be 37. You're right. Verse 9, and after him was Eliezer. This is after Adino the Esnite. And after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the Ahohite. What? His father's name wasn't the most impressive, but Eliezer was. I mean, how would you like to be known as the son of Dodo? <laughs> and after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the, oh- the Ahohite. No wonder he was tough, you say. <laughs> he had to fight all the time because they were making fun of his name. He was one of the three mighty men with David when they defied the Philistines that were there gathered together to battle. Now, friends, we didn't read in here that the Philistines defied these three men. We read the three men defied the Philistines. Come and get me, you big sissies. You say they didn't talk that way. Did you forget 1 Samuel 17 and what David said to Goliath as he went out there and met him? Come here and let me feed your brains to the birds. That's what he said. I love reading the words of Scripture and seeing what they're saying. They defied the Philistines. How many? 300,000? No, three. They defied the Philistines that were there gathered together to battle, and the men of Israel were gone away. Here they were. They had quite a crowd from Israel. Everyone else runs away because the Philistines are so large. The three of them look around and say, "We're We're all that's left. Come and get us. Don't you like men like, I like to hear men like that. Numbers don't mean a thing to them. We have three. A threefold cord is not easily broken, Solomon said. This one wasn't either. Let's read. He arose, that is Eliezer, he's one of the top three. He arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clave under the sword. Now I'll bet the only times your hand has clanged anything was when you got writer's cramp and you couldn't let go of a pencil. His hand got tired also, and he couldn't let go of his sword, and so he kept right on going. That's what, that's what the Lord's telling us. Until his hand was weary, and his hand clave under the sword, and the Lord wrought a great victory that day. Look at this phrase. You've got to read the Scriptures. And the people returned after him to do the mop-up work. No. What they return for? Only to spoil. What does that mean? He took them all. It was they, there were three of them. They took them all. And the people came back, the ones that had fled came back just in time to strip the dead bodies and pocket some gold change. Three men did the job. We've gone through the first two of the top three. Ed Dino, the Esnite's number one, Eliezer son of Dodo, you'll never forget that. Is number two. And here's number three in verse eleven. And after him, he's the third one of the top tier of three. And after him was Shammah the son of Aege, the Herahite. And the Philistines were gathered together into a troop where was a piece of ground full of lentils. And the people fled from the Philistines. But he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines. And the Lord wrought a great victory." If you were to compare this passage with the passage in 1 Chronicles chapter 11, you would find that the same battle is under consideration. The one we just covered were Eliezer's at work, Shammah was with them, and Adino the Dino the Eznite were there, and they were defending a piece of valuable property where lentils and barley were raised, if you were to read both accounts. The three of them were there, everyone else fled away, they took care of the Philistines themselves, then the rest of the people came back to strip the dead bodies. Those are the top three men. You say, what else did those top three men do? Well, verse 13 is going to tell us something they did together again. A threefold cord is not easily broken. I'd rather have three in that telephone booth than two. And three of the 30 chief went down and came. I want to interject something right here. It says 30 chief. You may have heard many times of David's 30 chosen men. No, you can't find that in the Bible. Nowhere does it talk about David's. 30 chosen men except in verses just like this it says there's 37 in all 37 in all the 30 is just a round number used to describe the main fighting force six of which were elevated out of it as its chiefs and three of the 30 chief went down and came to David in the harvest time under the cave of Adullam and the troop of the Philistines pitched in the valley of Rephaim I'm gonna go ahead and tell you the story David here is in a cave. The Philistines are in the valley. David starts thinking about a well at Bethlehem. Oh, remember David was raised at Bethlehem. That's where he kept sheep. Jesse was a Bethlehemite. He says, oh, if I could have a drink of that water from that well at Bethlehem. These three men did not sit around playing cards when they weren't in war. They heard their chief captain say he wanted a drink of water. Guess what they did? Come on, come on, let's go. They broke through the lines of the Philistines. That's what you can read right here, verse 16. And the three mighty men break through the host of the Philistines. They drew some water out of the well of Bethlehem, and they brought it back through the troop of the Philistines and gave it to David. And David realized what his men had just done. So, what did he do with the water? He pours it out on the ground. He pours it on the ground, verse 17, O oh, be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of the men that went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things did these three mighty men. They hear the words, I want a drink of water. Does that mean, I want a drink of water? We'll get it for you. Through the Philistines, bring it back. He's so overwhelmed with their devotion And dedication, that he pours it out as an offering because he couldn't drink it, because it was the blood of those men, because they had put their lives in jeopardy for him. That is tier one, the three chief captains, Adino being number one of those top three. Now there are three lesser captains. We take up with them in verse 18. And Abishai, the brother of Joab, see this is another nephew of David, the son of Zeruiah, was chief among three. Now we've already covered three. Oh, skeptics get on this too. I mean, because they read about he was chief among three, then they read about another man being chief among three, but you'll see that there's two threes. Top three, lower three, and then 31. Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was chief among three. doesn't say the first three, it just says three. And he lifted up his spear against three hundred and slew them, and had the name among three. He was known as the best among three. What three? Was he not most honorable of three? Yes, he was. Therefore he was their captain. How be it he attained not unto the first three. If they'd read their Bibles, it all works out. It all works out. Three top captains, or chiefs, three lesser captains. Adino the Esnite is number one of the top three. Abishai, David's nephew, the brother of Joab, is number one of the lesser three. He was most honorable among those three. You say, what else did Abishai do? Did he do anything else than kill 300 with a spear? I'm not impressed yet. Okay. Come back two chapters to 2 Samuel 21. 2 Samuel 21, verse 15. Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel. And David went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines. And David waxed faint. Getting on in years here. Getting tired of fighting. He waxes faint. And Ishbi Benab, which was of the sons of the giant, a Philistine giant, the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight, he being girded with a new sword, thought to have slain David. He could see David tired. David probably fell down. He thought he had him. He was rushing toward him. He was going to dispatch David and get rid of the enemy of the Philistines. Verse 17. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, David's nephew, suckered him. That means, listen, to put that in English, all you got to do is take a C away and add a K. He suckered him. Ishbibonab was a sucker, S-U-C-K-E-R, and fell for Abishai's little ploy. That's what the word means. Abishai the son of Zeruiah succored him and smote the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. Would you like to have a family feud with the Bethlehemites related to Jesse? What a family. Abishai, brother of Joab, David's nephew, chief among the lower three, mighty men of David killed the giant saved David's life and took care of 300 on another occasion with a spear listen it'd take a two-hour movie to show a spear going through 300 men you can't even imagine the kind of men these were 800 300 giants let's go on we're on the, we're on the third tier the second tier of three men verse 20 and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man of Kabzeel, who had done many acts. He slew two lion-like men of Moab. Now, I don't know what in the world these two men of Moab were, but they sound like wild-looking dudes. <coughs> lion-like men of Moab. He slew two of them. He didn't settle for one. It was two. What else did he do? Verse 20. He went down also and slew a lion in the midst of a pit in time of snow let me remind you of a few things that these words mean he went down into a pit where do you run when you're in a pit nowhere is a lion hungry or full in time of snow hungry he goes down into a pit in the time of snow and kills a lion not bad benea verse 21 and he slew an egyptian a goodly man first chronicles 11 tells us he was five cubits size seven and a half feet he was taller than ralph Sampson of the houston rockets you say how tall is ralph samson well he's about seven four or five this man seven and a half feet tall and he was built for war ralph samson couldn't fight his weight of a wet paper bag I mean, he's skin and bones. These were fighting men. And he slew an Egyptian, a goodly man, and the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but he went down to him with a staff. All he had was a shepherd's staff. He said, come on, I'll take you on with your spear. And plucked the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and slew him with his own spear. Benea. That's Benea slew two two lion-like men of Moab, a lion in the winter, and a large Egyptian warrior. God tells us that about him. Verse 22, These things did Bnei, the son of Jehoiada, and had the name among three mighty men. He was more honorable than the thirty, but he attained not to the first three. See, he's in the second three. And David set him over his guard. Do you know who David's guard was? David had a guard beyond the men listed right here. They're known in Scripture as the Cherethites and Pelethites. Sometimes in your Bible, you'll read about the Cherethites and the Pelethites. Do you know what they were? Who they were? They were Philistines that had said, if you can't beat them, join them. Two tribes of Philistines had said, "Uh, not David, let's go join them. They became his personal bodyguards. Guess who their captain was? Benaiah, right here made captain of the guards, you say, prove that he was captain of the Cherethites and the Pelethites. Come over to 1 Kings with me. First Kings chapter 1. First Kings chapter 1. <clears throat> now, you know, when David died, there was, a little, there was a few problems in the kingdom. They didn't exactly want to give it, Solomon's brothers didn't want to give it to him without a fight. Well, Benaiah stuck with Solomon. We can read in verse 38 of 1 Kings 1. So Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada and the Cherethites and the Pelethites went down and caused Solomon to ride upon King David's mule and brought him to Gihon. you got to remember Adonijah here has already claimed to be king. There's going to be civil war. Benaiah and the Pelethites, the Cherethites came down, put Solomon on the mule, say, you get out there in the street and ride. We'll, you know, ride si- we'll We'll be right beside you, in front of you, and behind you. Let them try what they will. Solomon got out there. He knew the reputation of Benaiah, the Pelethites, and the Cherethites. They remained loyal to David and to Solomon. Guess who did the dirty work when Joab was in the temple hanging on the horns of the altar, knowing what David had written in his will. Now, if you had known that David had written that in your will, Joab, mighty man Joab, how did he go out of this world? In fear, hanging onto the altar. Guess who went and dispatched him? Benaiah. Benaiah went and took care of him according to Solomon's instruction. Now, there are so many places we could turn to follow up on the lives of these men a little bit more. Now we've got ourselves a problem. We've covered the first three, Adino, Eliezer, and Shammah. Adino being the first of those three chief captains. Of the lesser captains, we have, so far, Abishai and Benaiah. But notice in 2 Samuel 23, verse 24, Asahel, the brother of Joab, was one of the thirty, Elhanan, the son of Dodo, of Bethlehem shama the herodite and it just goes on down through a list of names all the way down to verse 39 of these 37 chosen men we have a whole the whole is the third of the three lesser mighty captains who's it going to be oh if you could read if i could give you the criticism of god's word that comes from accounts like this that leave out that sixth man. Where is he? Who is he? And when we add him up it only comes to 36. We need 37 because God said 30 and 7 in all. What is the method of Bible study and the way the Bible was written that was designed to confuse some and cause them to stumble and be snared and taken and at the same time was to give us understanding? Here a little, there a little. What does that say about the 37 men? Are they all going to be here? Come over to 1 Chronicles chapter 12. I, I, ha, I never cease to be amazed at this book. It is the most incredible maze which can be figured out and followed and teach knowledge and instruction. But which, at the same time, confuses, confounds men to where they close it, forget about it, and leave the doctrine. First Chronicles. Remember, we've already been here. Remember, verse two about the men who could hurl stones and shoot arrows with either arm, either hand. This is listing the men who came and joined themselves to David. Look what we read in verse four. And Ismaiah, the Gibeonite. A mighty man among the 30 and over the 30. And Jeremiah and Jehaziel and Jehahan, how would you ever find that? He was a mighty man among the 30. He was a mighty man over the 30. We know he was the missing captain from that declaration. Among the 30, over the 30. See, when we come back to 2 Samuel 23, Asahel, the next man mentioned, all it says of him, Asahel, the brother of Joab, was one of the 30. doesn't say a thing about him being over the 30 in any position of leadership. Ismael is the sixth man that we're missing that makes up the 37. When God says at the end of this whole listing, 30 and 7 in all, he expects you to put into practice Isaiah 28, 9 through 13, here a little and there a little. Now, if you don't do it, you can sweat bullets. How do I know? Go look on my office floor. It's there. If we'll study the Bible, you want a challenge? You want a challenge? Just read your Old Testament and try to figure it out. Ismaiah is number six. Let's move on. Verse twenty-four: Asahel, the brother of Joab, was one of the thirty. Here's another nephew of David's. The three sons of Zeruiah are now all here. Abishai. He's first of the lower three. We had Joab, who was captain of the whole host, and now we have Asahel. Asahel is known in scripture as being able to run as fast as a deer. He was known for his speed, his speed kills. Speed got him in trouble. One day, he was chasing Abner, captain of Saul's army. Chasing Abner, and Abner knew who was going ki- to win that foot race, so he decided he'd have to do something He said to Asahel, you better turn away from following me. Quit chasing me. I'm going to have to do you in. And I don't want your brother Joab angry with me. And Asahel just kept coming, fast as a deer, the Bible says. I could take you to the passage, but I'm saving time. Joab, all he did is stop in his tracks, hold out the back end of his spear, and Asahel impaled himself on it. That's that's the way to take care of somebody that's fast. Speed kills. Asahel didn't listen, didn't turn aside. Joab took care of him. I mean, Abner took care of him. Joab got upset just like Abner knew he would, and guess who killed who? Joab took care of Abner because Abner had killed his brother. I mean the bloodshed that took place among some of these men. Let's keep reading down this list. Asahel, we've read about, was fleet of foot. He is not reckoned as a captain, but he is said to be of the thirty. Ismaiah. is is the one that we were missing because he was said to be of the 30 and over the 30. I want to give you one more proof on that in case any of you are still wondering about Ismael, who we pull out of 1 Chronicles twelve four. Remember we have Edino the Esnite, we have Eliezer, and we have Shammah, tier 1. Tier 2, we have Abishai. I better look. We have Abishai, and we have Benea, and we have the missing link, the blank. Now, Benei is right in the same category. Let's go look at 1 Chronicles 27 and verse 6. This is one of the references that shed great light on Ismaiah, what the Bible had to say about Benea. Remember, Benea is in that second tier of lesser captains. 1 Chronicles 27 and verse 6, it's listing the 12 different courses of guards that David had, the captains. And in verse 6, it said, This is that Benaiah who was mighty among the 30 and above the 30. Remember, Benaiah is in that second tier. And what does the Bible say of him? He was among the 30 and he was above the 30. So when we read the same statement, among the 30 and above the 30, of Ismaiah the Gibeonite, we assume he's right at the same level with Benea. That's how we solve the the mystery of the six captains. And now we run down from verse 24 through the end of the chapter, and just listing the other 31 men. Asahel, the brother of Joab, was the fast one. Elhanan, the son of Dodo of Bethlehem. Elhanan of Bethlehem. What did Elhanan of Bethlehem do? He killed the brother of Goliath. You come back to 2 Samuel 21. Come back to 2 Samuel 21. Verse 19. And there was again a battle in Gob with the Philistines, where Alhanan the son of Jerorijim, called here, a Bethlehemite, slew the brother of Goliath the Gittite, the staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And it says in verse 22 that all these fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. There's Alhanan. He took care of the brother of Goliath, Lamai, but he didn't make the top six. He didn't make cutoff, the cutoff. He was in the bottom 31. And we come down through this list. There's a lot of names here. There's about two per verse. We come down to verse 27, the second man listed in the verse. Mebunai, the Hushathite. Mebunai, the Hushathite. Is, does the Bible tell us anything about this man? Well, we come back. To second Samuel 21 Second Samuel 21 18 you say this is the third time we've gone to second Samuel 21 that's right this that's the chapter of the Giants second Samuel 21 tells what happens to the four sons of the giant of the Philistines one of which was listed as a brother of Goliath that's a whole other story if you like considering incest and its ramifications and why they had the freaks of those Giants in the land of the Philistines but in 2 Samuel 21 and verse 18, And it came to pass after this, that there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sibekai, the Hushathite slew Saph, which was of the sons of the giant. You know, there were four other giants. The one's name was Saph. Elhanan killed Lamai. Sibekai or Mabunai, same name. I can show you from Scripture, they the same man. Both called the Hushathite. the Hushathite, killed this other giant, Sath. Well, you can come down through this list and we get all the way to the bottom and we have a most interesting statement. And it's something I hope you'll remember. Verse 39, Uriah the Hittite, 30 and 7 in all. When you read about David in 2 Samuel 11, walking up on his housetop and you wonder why was Bathsheba so close? She was the wife of one of his 37 chosen men. What a mess he got himself into. He committed adultery with, one of the, with the wife of one of his best friends, a man who had jeopardized his life to save David's. And if you've read the story of Uriah, you see a great devotion to David and to war and to fighting for Israel when he comes back. And David tries his best to get him to go home and sleep with his wife. And he wouldn't do it. It's also interesting to notice that he's a Hittite. He's a Hittite. David gathered all these different men. Hittites, not an Israelite, a Hittite, an enemy. An enemy of Israel. And he gathered them together. But, you know, the Bible says a couple things about these men. We read over in 1 Samuel 25, 1 Samuel 25, that the servants of Nabal, the servants of Nabal testified that when David and his men were in the same fields with their sheep they never lost one we have a bunch of misfits who come and join themselves to david but when david's in charge of them for the most part they're faithful men they don't steal a thing don't borrow and not pay back anything from nabal first samuel 25 tells us that second samuel chapter 1 tells us that these mighty men know how to shed tears 2 Samuel chapter 1, Saul and Jonathan, his son, were killed in a battle with the Philistines. And in verse 11 of 2 Samuel 1, we read, Then David took hold on his clothes and rent them, and likewise all the men that were with him. Now what men were with David? His 37 mighty men. And they mourned and wept and fasted until even for Saul and for Jonathan, his son, and for the people of the Lord, and for the house of Israel, because they were fallen by the sword. Mighty men, eight hundred with a spear, three hundred with a spear, two lion-like men, a lion in a pit in snow, stood their ground and defied the Philistines and destroyed a whole company, slew giants. But when the house of the Lord was in decay, they wept. Tough, and soft, mighty men. Now the Bible gave us this example of thirty-seven mighty men, beginning with Adino the Esnite, including Ismail the Gibeonite, and ending with Uriah the Hittite. Those were given to us to show us. And what does that description do? But just show us that they were some tough men that accompanied with David while he was king over Israel. The Lord has always looked for a few good men because God wants to deal with few, not with many. With many, the first thing that happens is they take confidence in their numbers. God is looking for a few good men. He's looking for you. Now, we are not called to wrestle with flesh and blood. We've been called to wrestle against spiritual wickedness in high places against the rulers of the darkness of this world and against the lusts that war against our own souls he's looking for a few good men let me remind you of that i mentioned one this morning god destroyed the world with a flood of water and he saved eight because of noah one man one man a preacher of righteousness it says but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord one man when Abraham was told by God that God was gonna send fire and brimstone upon the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and of the plain and Abraham said shall not the judge of all the earth do right will you slay the righteous with the wicked the Lord said no I won't but would you show me the righteous please and Abraham said, will you do it if, there's, if I can find 50? God said, I'll save it for 50. Abraham thought, well, the last time I was there, they didn't exactly attend Bible study. I don't know how many. Will you save it for 40, 30, 20, 10? I mean, if you want to talk about Jew, Abraham, the father of the Jews, sure Jude the Lord down on that one, didn't he? Did, can you... I get embarrassed when I when I read Genesis 18 once more once more Lord one more ten yes for ten they couldn't find ten do you realize the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah as wicked as they were would have been saved if there were ten men now we have ten men more than ten men sitting right here I want you to be righteous men to save this nation For the glory of God and listen living like Lot doesn't cut it Moses more than once saved the whole nation by himself look at Psalm 106 Psalm 106 Moses so many times had to intercede for the house of Israel when God wanted him to step back and he would destroy the nation in Psalm 106 verse 23 Therefore he said that he would destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen, stood before him in the breach? Please remember the word. Moses stood before him in the breach. What was the breach? The lack of righteous men. Moses stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy them. Moses, by himself, saved a nation that God was waxing hot against. In the days of Elijah, Elijah said, I alone am left. God said, I've reserved 7,000 and haven't bowed. He didn't reserve the nation. He reserved a small group of 7,000. God's looking for a few good men. Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 1, 9, except the Lord of Sabbath had left us a very small remnant. We had been like Sodom and Gomorrah. If God hadn't left Israel a very small remnant, he's looking for a very small remnant in the 20th century. God hasn't changed, he's always used a few men. Whether it's in the days of Noah or in the days when the Son of Man returns, Jesus Christ said, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. He hasn't changed a bit. He's looking for a few good men turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel 22 and verse 30. Ezekiel 22:30, God is speaking about the wickedness of Judah. And he said, and I sought for a man among them. I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge of and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it. But I found none. Moses once stood in that breach. One man saved the land. God said, I sought, past tense, for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand before me in the gap for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Come back to Jeremiah 15 1. Jeremiah 15 1. Jeremiah 5 1, excuse me. Jeremiah 5 1, the same words basically to Jeremiah. One to Ezekiel. Here's to Jeremiah. Run ye to and fro, to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem, and see now, and know and seek in the broad places thereof. If ye can find a man, if there be any that executeth judgment, that seeketh the truth, and I will pardon it. God is saying, I want you. He wants a single man. Don't you think about anyone else right now. Think about yourself, and I'm addressing you men and young men. Run to and fro, see if you can find one that executes judgment, that loves the truth, seeks the truth, and I'll pardon the land. One man. You know what the problem was? I sought and I found none. I sought and I found none. Do you know how bad it was? Look at Jeremiah 15.1. Jeremiah 15.1 Then said the Lord unto me, Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my mind could not be toward this people. Cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. Come over to Ezekiel 14, 14. Ezekiel 14. The point I want you to get from these verses is that God himself is admitting that he measures a nation many times by whether he can find one man. One man. I sought for a man and found none. Ezekiel 14 14, though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. The point is that God here mentions five men that he considered sufficient to save others around them Moses, Samuel, Daniel, Noah, and Job. We have five listed. You can think about any one of them. Noah, seven other family members by Noah's righteousness. Moses, the nation of Israel. Job, sons and daughters. Remember what Job would do every time he saw his sons and daughters feasting? Offer up a sacrifice. Lord, forgive their iniquities if they sinned against Thee and blasphemed in their heart. Confessing sins, he was so righteous and wanted to have his family void of sin before God, he'd confess sins for his family as far as he could do that. All of those five men were the kind of men I want the men in this congregation to be. But who's up to the task? Who was ready to be a man? What does it mean to be a man? We don't war against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. We wrestle in a spiritual war that takes on the form of false doctrine without, deceitful hearts and weak brethren within, and the wickedness of our own depraved hearts. Now that's quite a battle. Who's a man in here? Who is going to try to be the man? You know, if you were all trying to be the man, can you imagine what kind of a congregation we would have? I sought for a man, a man, not 10 men, not a 100 men, not a nation of men, a man. Job, Noah, Daniel, Moses, and Samuel fit the bill. How many are there here that will fit the bill for the 20, 40, 60 years we may have left? I sought for a man among them. You know, in Proverbs 31 and verse 10, we read who can find a virtuous woman? Who can find one? Only someone who knows how to look well because there's very few of them. Who can find a virtuous woman? Her price is far above rubies. A faithful woman is a very rare thing indeed, but don't get cocky, men. I read in Proverbs 20 and verse 6 Most men will proclaim every one his own goodness, but a faithful man, who can find? Who can find a faithful man? Guess what happened in the days of Ezekiel? God couldn't. A good man, and that's why I'm addressing the men, will take care of his house. Do you know why God came down and told Abraham what was going to happen to Sodom and Gomorrah? Because in Genesis 18 and verse 19 we read that God said of Abraham, I know him. He will command his household to obey me. That's why I want the men. Genesis eighteen nineteen. I know him. He'll command his household to obey me. Joshua said before he died in Joshua 24 and 14, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Didn't ask him, didn't recommend it, didn't take a vote. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Are there any men who are going to answer the call to be a man? Not the men of this tinsel world that have nothing better than to play out their fantasies on a silver screen, but the men that God considers men. And let me tell you, I tried to show you tonight that even in the natural realm, does God know how to measure men well? In the natural realm, comely, good looker, mighty man of war, valiant, cunning on the harp. God knows how to measure his men. David was a man after his own heart. How many of you will be like David, like Job, like Daniel, like Noah, like Samuel, like Moses, like Abraham, like Joshua, like Paul? You say everything you've covered so far is Old Testament. What about Paul? Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, writing from Rome to Timothy, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. Paul said that he fought daily to keep his body under, lest by any means he, when he had preached to others, he should be a castaway. How many men in this congregation are going to fight like Paul fought, keep the faith like Paul fought, and keep their bodies under? You don't need the Philistines to fight. You have yourself. You have this world that you're going to have to go out and face tomorrow. And I fear as David would when you go out there. As David must have felt when the when his three men went through the host of the Philistines to get him water from the well at Bethlehem is the way I feel when you go out in that world tomorrow. How many of you are going to be men? The least degree of compromise, of wickedness, of lethargy, you have ruled yourself out. I mean, God is looking for a special man. He didn't list just anyone, did he? David didn't make the cutoff five men made it that we know about and that God lists as men that he would save a nation for under most circumstances I sought for a man among them the Lord is looking for a few good men brethren we are few in number we are the off scouring of the earth as the Apostles said of themselves we are nothing In the eyes of the world God is not looking for something in the eyes of the world he is looking for a few good men who will fight a good fight who will keep the faith and for them a crown of righteousness will be laid up I wish to God that there was one five ten twenty of you that will try to answer the call of Ezekiel 22 30 try to put yourself in the ranks of the five men that I've mentioned and fight a good fight if you are all to strive for that what kind of a fighting force would the Greenville Church be and when I say fighting I mean bringing glory to the name of the captain and the king who's called me to be your pastor let us strive to be the mighty men of the Son of David, Jesus Christ.